0: Today's guest is Joseph Crown from the thedowofthecrown.com. Joseph is a mind control expert and hypnotist. And he was recommended to me by one of the members in my mastermind group. There's a few of us who are getting really into hypnosis. Yeah, it was an awesome conversation. He's not shy about going to the darker side, but really understands a lot of deep concepts when it comes to this stuff. And it was a pleasure speaking with him. We actually had to cut, I had to cut the conversation a little short because I had something I had to get to and I wasn't expecting us to go over an hour, but it was definitely fun. Joseph actually shared a little a write-up he, he wrote up that goes into some of the concepts if you're interested in the academic side or some techniques you can use beyond what's discussed in the conversation. So check that out. You can also check out his, his website, dowofthecrown.com. So without further ado, this is episode 040, episode 40, Joseph Crown on Mind Control. You're listening to the Rwanda Podcast, petrol orgasm, infinite play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. Awesome. So we're live. Um, Yeah. Thanks for coming on, uh, Joseph. Uh, You were recommended uh, to me by one of the groups, uh, one of the people in my mastermind. And we've kind of been speaking about hypnosis um, every so often in the group. So it's cool to have uh, another expert on. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I looked through your website and everything. And I I was really interested in that, um, as opposed to other hypnosis experts we've had on, uh, you seem to go into the dark side um, more more willingly. (laughs) For lack of a better uh, better term, um, but certainly for everyone who doesn't know you. Um, could you go into briefly your background and and how you got to where you are and how you became um, this expert on hypnosis?
1: <laughs> well, some time ago, I'd say about thirty ish years now. I had an interest in hypnosis. I really enjoyed figuring people out, and I started to get into it. I stumbled across some of the basic stuff uh on hypnosis and I just started to play with it myself. I also came across some of the original speed seduction things from Ross Jeffries, uh stumbled into Richard Bandler, and I guess how I got more into the darkish side as you put it. Um, I ended up finding people who, I guess I would call them now hypnosis fetishists, who were also a little bit into the the BDSM realm, where one of my first gigs that I never really thought too much about was actually um, teaching a bunch of... Uh, women these guys girlfriends uh, from a dog training manual so it was like mm. stimulus response and it was quite fun it was just like a party where we're all got together and just running people through the initial suggestibility tests and for the most part that life just took off from there um i started to get into lifestyle training i began to not do as much with therapy um i don't do any therapy these days i'm more i know when i say the word guru it comes up with some funny connotations with some people but uh, guru lifestyle trainer and mastermind controller i know that sounds really funny too but for the most part that's a term that i'm really enjoying reclaiming because the mind itself is something that we try to master ourselves with first so the term mind controller has been a fun one to use and some of the responses have been really wonderful
0: awesome um, yeah, actually that that term mind control is what stuck out on uh, your website it's like oh he's not just a personal growthy guy who's just throwing out of these big terms like oh cool it's like a a taboo ter- uh, term that I find interesting. Um, I don't know, if you know much about my background, but um, I've done a bunch of stuff with cult psychology, and I'm uh, putting out things on that. So the idea of mind control, I found very interesting. And to me, it's not a negative word either. It's just a neutral term that is, you know, pervasive throughout life. And most people aren't aware of. <laughs> oh, for sure. And if you if you really
1: get into it, it's like, when you're doing it, uh, if you're researching it, finding out the best things to say in the best possible way, it's a good thing. But when someone accuses someone else of doing something wrong and using all of these exact same things about choosing their words carefully and saying it in a specific way, it's a bad thing. So it's very contextually explosive, I would say. Totally. But it's yeah, it's
0: all a, it's all in the I guess how you use it yeah yeah i mean even the most um like the most saccharine personal growth like books like how to win Flare- friends and influence people is a mind control book i like, could in a soft way but uh-huh. no one no one views that as a negative thing yeah yeah um could you you just mention i mean i don't mean to cut off your, your story but um could you no. mention uh you know uh or could you share like what the suggestibility test uh, type of thing is because i have you seen um well, I just uh, saw Darren Brown's documentary, Push. I don't know if you're familiar with it.
1: I am. I saw it a little while ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it. Um, maybe we'll talk about it later. But um, in the beginning, you know, a spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't seen it partially, Um, they screened, basically in the documentary, they're, he was trying to um convince a person to commit murder, what they thought was murder, within 90 minutes. And they screened people in the beginning. To see who was the most suggestible, so you know, obviously, would be more likely to work. Um, were, you, were you, were your suggestibility test anything like that?
1: So that Darren Brown is wonderful for what he does with sub- suggestibility tests, but for the most part, suggestibility and compliance are different things, but they're often overlapping. Suggestibility meaning that when you're When I'm describing something, a suggestible person will more ably be able to visualize it, internalize it, and begin to represent it. So compliance is a little bit different. Compliance is just the automatic cultural hypnosis often where they're like, I'm relating to an authority figure, so I'm going to comply or I'm relating to someone who's in charge or that knows what he's doing because he's an expert, something like that, where they're just following in line. So compliance, suggestibility, and really stacking yes sets in the beginning were some of the things that I picked up on. I, I'm not sure if you know what the, the yes set is. I do, but um, maybe you should explain it for those who don't. So if I get a person to say yes once, and then I get them to say yes again, and then the third yes comes a little bit quicker. It's almost automatic. And that automatic piece is exactly what we're looking for because it it's buy-in, it's establishing very much like a feedback mechanism where it feels good to not only say yes, but it's just yes automatically. And salespeople tend to do this just because it's easier to get both the compliance that you will follow through and buy their product or do something
0: that they want. Yeah. But, yeah. But Actually my first job um, ever was um, selling cable subscriptions door to door. And yeah. I had my, my pitch had like 11 or 12 really dumb yes or no questions where the obvious answer was yes. The first one is, do you live here? Like I'd knock on their door and say, do you live here? And a bunch of other like silly questions, but it was exactly that. They didn't call it a yes set, but it was some technique I learned. Often,
1: they'll ask them very quickly, too. So you don't have a lot of time to think in between. Right. But what about the, I guess, bringing someone in to push someone to, I guess, get them to the point of committing murder? Did you find the most attractive, not like, wow, I want someone to do this, but compelling is what i guess what i'm after is it the behavioral piece that it you found compelling picking someone to go through this darren brown special or how he figured it out that how do you
0: um i was interested in the the idea of suggestibility because um i mean one of the conclusions at the end of the document i guess i'm spoiling the whole thing but Um, One of the conclusions that I felt like he was making to the public was um, people need to watch out about how suggestible they are, and and maybe he was conflating suggestibility (laughs) and compliance. And like the the people who went through it, a lot of what they said at the end was like, "Wow, I really need to like be aware of how often I'm going along with things or how often I'm being influenced without realizing it." And um, anyway, I just brought that up because I I think that the suggestibility trait is something. It's not something people think about when they when they think about describing themselves but it's such something that's so um directly tied to their behavior and what they'll do in life
1: and i completely agree with you and one of the wonderful things that i will often say and it goes under sort of the mind controller type framework is that we never stop being in a state of hypnosis by my philosophy most of the hypnotic trances are directed or hijacked from other states because our subconscious never really shuts off our subconscious is constantly active And a hypnotic state to me is just a goal oriented state where a person has their subconscious mind become more dominant because of the communication or
0: elicitation that's really it gotcha gotcha um, on the you know the the suggestibility and compliance thing you just shared, is it possible for someone to be highly compliant but not suggestible?
1: Let me think about that because
0: being compliant. So, I, I can imagine the opposite is true. I think that's what you kind of said. Like someone could be suggestible but not necessarily compliant. Unless I misheard you. Yeah. That makes sense. Too. I mean it depends on the depth
1: because yes, you may not agree with something and you could follow through. All of us do that every single day, probably at work where we just have to bite our tongue and do something the way someone else wants it. That's compliance. But being suggestible, being like, this is completely filling me up with the details. I would still say, possible but less likely to be as in-depth or intense because you're not really feeling it there's a conflict within yourself so at any point in time any distraction much like like you're writing a college paper about a week before it's due any distraction is going to take you right away from that and you're going to go to whatever else you're going to do
0: wait, gotcha. um, okay, so so you were you were going into um, you're doing this at parties it was uh, so I guess your in was kind of like through the kink scene is that right
1: That is right and for the most part, I ended up finding it welcoming. I ended up finding it it was basically something that everyone was talking about but no one was really talking about because everyone was looking. And it's still true today to those people that they can talk about the deepest parts of themselves, what they're interested in. And often people will feel judged about some of the things they're interested in. Um, movie is like 50 Shades of Grey and exactly wasn't out and is mainstream way back when. But um, those things have been much more permissible lately. And the whole idea of actually having some sort of, I guess, work-life balance where you're keeping a separate life. You're not exactly the same person. uh, in each sphere of who you're interacting with is not a new one, but it's definitely becoming less prominent with social media. I would say there's a lot more overlap than there used to be.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And actually, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly uh, kinky, actually. I mean, my, my draw to that that kind of thing is that um, since the taboos are accepted, you can really see true human behavior like without people like, I mean, I'm most interested in like how real power dynamics are visible in those scenes and where people actually want it and it's consensual, whereas in the rest of society, it still exists, but people kind of maybe pretend or don't believe that they actually Desire this innately or instinctually, Um, which is why I think you know the erotic hypnosis is interesting on on that level. In that, like this handing over of power directly creates a pleasurable experience, or can at least in many situations.
1: Oh, for sure. And it's really interesting because at first, you know, the idea of being masculine might be someone who's constantly in control, but sometimes when you get into this you start to realize masculine can also be letting someone figure out what's going on with you it can be taking a passive stance at times it all depends on who you are as a person and this i guess i just tend to refer to it as like the king community of a lifestyle community just putting everyone together you can find so many different examples of how to live, how to be. You really start to see that we all live in a bubble or a filter and what we want, it's entirely possible. It's just a matter of designing our lives that way. Can
0: you say a little more what you mean by like having someone figure you out? Uh, Can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. You said said it can also be uh, masculine to have someone figure you out. Do you you care what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So many of us at times, or at least I think so, have had the desire to live by some sort of a code, to go off and have life have meaning, whether it's living by your own rules, someone else's rules. It's just about being and how you define that is a personal thing and masculinity for me I prefer as much as I can to be in control but at the same time being in control means for me that I'm also willing and able to let someone else have control for a time who might know something more about what they're doing just not losing myself by accepting that i just because i don't have control that i've lost it that i'm no longer masculine that i'm no longer a person who's dominant or whatever there's so many other things that we are that it's important that we begin to see them in balance is where i was going with it cool
0: gotcha Gotcha. Um, so maybe on an extreme of uh and on the other side, um, can you say more about the dog training stuff? That's, uh, quite interesting. <laughs>
1: Pet play has become much more I guess in the mainstream than it used to. Whether someone has the little kitty ears or they
0: have the little butt plugs with the waving tails. Things like that, or... So you were actually in these parties, you were actually, it was, it was what you are saying, pet play, it was like treating them like animals. I thought you were actually just using uh, dog training techniques. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah. So for the most part,
1: uh, the yes. So the idea was to see what it could do, because how some of this came about was I was interested in the ability to um, have hypnosis take away fears phobias things that like often that are inhibitions as well as pain if someone's having you know a problem with their foot or whatever so from there starting to develop and develop a client base it just became meeting people around who had other uses for those sort of things so uh, inhibitions was a big one, self confidence, and it's really interesting because once you once you empower someone in one area of their life, and it, I know it sounds a little kooky that empowering someone might be able to be has a pet for somebody, but just giving that meaning, giving them confidence, making them feel erotic. And making them have a playfully good time is often enough to make them have a better experience in life. It doesn't take much.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, One of my friends, he's a BDSM uh, instructor, always brings up how uh, we eroticize our pains. So like this uh, addition of pleasure, whether it's even like a, what we call a kink or not, it's like almost a way to reclaim power and especially if someone's had a trauma around something that's why people tend to fetishize you know past pains um, but even if not you know yeah i mean there's i mean being able to experience pleasure like you're saying in in a certain act can translate into confidence in other areas
1: yeah and the interesting thing as i started to share with some people is like pleasure is completely trainable and as i've Mentioned before that our subconscious is completely always active. So, if you would try something for me here, can you notice the sensation of air on the back of your hands right now? Yes. Can you find something very wonderful or pleasant about that? One of those hands feeling a little better than the other?
0: Yeah, they both feel pretty good. (laughs)
1: so enjoyment again here is it's trainable sensation and enjoyment and concentration have a direct relationship with each other the more we enjoy a sensation the more concentrated we can have it become which in turn increases the enjoyment even further and i didn't have to magically put you into some sort of formal trance we're talking about it and i'm talking in a way that's I sort of refer to as command phrasing, where you're learning to pick up on these subconscious signals and communicate in such a way that that knowledge is basically making the subconscious mind a little more dominant. It's that conscious-subconscious overlap. And I guess for some people, this is a wonderful kink to have.
0: But can you, can you um, break down what you mean by making the subconscious more dominant? Is that through just paying attention to feelings?
1: Yeah, so, so so the subconscious is often taking care of the things that are just out of conscious awareness. And feelings, how you're feeling in different areas of your body, makes it so that you're actually having to change your consciousness or go into an altered state to some degree for you to actually access those things. And as you do that, the simple command phrasing of pleasant, wonderful, these lasting things begin to transition with you to those states. So as you are doing it, you were probably starting to smile and like, yeah, I can feel this. Because those things, those slight suggestions, or I tend to call them command phrasings or instructions, are basically what led you to that state and what you were going off almost being primed
0: hmm. Hmm. yeah that makes sense i i should want to ask you now about the um like some maybe some technical things around erotic hypnosis cuz i've taken a couple lessons and i've played around a bit and um and i'm i'm curious about like so i mean what you just did with me paying attention to my hands i see that's in your handout Is like step 1 in a uh, a training pleasure like what is the next piece to heighten it <laughs> How does this go into, you know, orgasmic states, for instance?
1: Well, for instance, you could begin with a yes set, making, taking that same idea to every time you say yes, feeling better, taking that feeling better to moving to my next command phrase, it could be biting your lip, looking at me in eye to eye, and then just saying yes, going up, just on and on, it really there is no end. It all depends on not only what could be attractive in that moment, but what
0: we want to explore. Yeah. Um, do you have? Is there a rule of thumb, for instance, on like how specific to get? Because one thing, and you know, I'm pretty novice with this, but one thing when I've been doing this with partners is maybe I would say uh, to feel a certain body part. And it would kind of mess things up because maybe she was already feeling pleasure in a different body part. And now I kind of conflicted with her experience. Because I didn't know what she was feeling, as opposed to just saying feeling pleasure, noticing pleasure in some body part. Is there is there some rule with that? Like and how specific to get if you don't know what their experience is in a moment? Well, You can be that cautious
1: if you want. Some of what I just approached you with, with the back of your hands, like most people wouldn't always associate the back of your hands with like pleasure. So it's a safe bet. It's pretty much universal as long as you have operation and function of your hands. And emotion tends to travel uh, either up our body or down our body in like a cyclical motion um if it didn't if it stopped any place it would habituate and now i'm talking about biology as well as uh energy basic energy flow here but for the most part all you need to do is ask is there a pick is there a particular place that you begin to feel pleasure when you're really interested in something and you know you're doing a good job Like something like that. If you named a place that she wasn't actually, I guess, aware of, you would potentially be changing the state. You wouldn't change it in a bad way unless you brought an instruction that maybe that wasn't quite right or whatever. One of the best things that it took me a while to learn was making remarkable mistakes. And making remarkable mistakes when you're training a subject or getting to know someone is something you want to tell people about very early on. Because at that point, as you're communicating with each other, you get to laugh about the mistakes. You get to be like, wow, I did something really bad here. Or I did something bad, but where can we take this or that bad starts to fall away then it just becomes i did something here where can we take this to get it to where we want it to go and then really it's again up to the both of you there's no longer this good bad connotation that we're often so worried about remarkable mistakes is one of the best things that you can teach anyone and to embody yourself
0: can you give an example of what and a remarkable mistake would be.
1: Well, I mean, I can I can go off something that you just said. Like you, you don't want to. So, I want to make you feel wonderful. You might feel wonderful in your heart, and if I'm gonna mention to you that feeling wonderful in your stomach is better. That could be a mistake because one isn't necessarily better than the other. But if that stomach, heart, and maybe someplace silly comes into play because now we can't make any mistakes that are wrong or bad. We can only get results that aren't exactly what we want. So sometimes just being playful is exactly what we need.
0: Gotcha. Cool. cool. Um, so, so you kind of went from erotic hypnosis into therapy because of the... Is that, is that <laughs> Which is interesting about? because yeah. I, I don't do
1: therapy at all. Okay. Um, so what we do in my chair with each other might be therapeutic. What we share as erotic hypnotists or any other title we might give ourselves isn't therapy. And it shouldn't be considered therapy because for the most part, it's just being there for each other. It's You might be able to say it's relational hypnosis if you want, but I'd rather just call it being a good person. And it saves us all from practicing medicine without a license.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, so, I mean, the, the when you're noticing that people were able to reduce their inhibitions or, or have any other sort of um, positive effects, you know, maybe emotionally um, from playing around with this stuff, you still kept it as play, though. You didn't turn it into like, OK, I'm going to help you specifically with this.
1: Um, yeah, because for the most part, when you're doing something for the pleasure of it, that's not the time that you really want to get into issues that might be problematic. You just want to encourage someone to respond, flow the experience, and just if one of those things comes up, that's the point that you might stop, take them to the side, let them talk about it, and then you come back. Again, for me, it would be a mistake to... Focus on that person entirely in that moment where a big issue came up and they had to process and deal with it because now there's compounding things that have happened. You've made the issue more important because all the attention's on it. Whereas if you just take that as like something that happened, shift into neutral and then come back to it, what you were doing in the first place, it, it's great because then. It's sort of like you can't control the thoughts when you're doing a meditation. You want to be able to teach yourself, teach other people that it's okay to shift into that neutral gear without going any lower into problematic, you know, my life is crap. And then when you're better, when you're feeling the vibe again from the energy from the room, from people around you, from being a recharge, you can be, I don't know, joyful (laughs) pleasant just sexual you can be whatever that you were trying to do in the first place if that makes sense
0: um i have a few questions in different directions well so the erotic stuff um i mean how often or how do you how often does like consent uh issues come up because i think um i think a lot of the fear with the word mind control for instance is like oh i wouldn't be able to say no when i meant to say no and i think not not to go into this direction but a lot of the consent uh, uh, events that have happened in, in the media over the last couple of years, Me Too and whatnot, seem to be like situations where um, it wasn't clear if the like person was in power or not. Um, were they able to really say no, that kind of thing? Um, I'd imagine this probably comes up in hypnotic situations a lot, right?
1: It It can. And some people are attracted to the fact that They might not have such a thing as free will. Um, But one could say the same thing when you're reading a newspaper. Would you have thought about the last thing Trump said if someone did not frame it in a particular way, brought up Trump or whatever? It's all leading your thoughts down a particular uh, direction. Now, with kink especially, there's... consensual non-consent and there's the different consent philosophies um you probably are aware of the safe sane and consensual because that's the one that is normally put out but there's also another one the risk aware consensual kink or rack do you know much about either of them
0: Uh, i've heard the terms i don't know a ton about them
1: so safe, sane, and consensual, what you might think is safe might be completely different than what I think is safe. But any universal guideline, we go by that. And If someone can explain it most of the time, these things are talked about mostly um, when you're going to group events, less face-to-face. Sometimes they are. It all depends on the community that you travel in. Sane. Um, I mean, most people would say what they're going to do may or may not be saved, but for the most part, it's a little easier to figure out the same uh, for what you're going to do. I mean, you can play with a bunch of jello in a tub if you really want to. It might be a little silly, but you can still say it's sane. And then the last piece, the consensual. As long as both people are willing to do it, that's great. Um, but it should also go by the safe and sane. Now, again, these things have a lot of wiggle room, um, because say we're both mountain climbing, and someone who's never mountain climbed, we're going to do something on there, some like go up a ninety degree angle and then go up around the ridge something something that someone that may have just been starting out would be like no way because it may not seem like it's possible it may not seem safe at all but it all depends on the people who have been doing this for a while which often comes to the risk aware consensual king you know the risks you know what it takes to do a specific or act if it's consensual no one is being hurt beyond uh you know a spanking we can't really say someone's being hurt um as long as you're not doing anything that's causing permanent harm like even in uh mountain climbing for instance you're going to get sore you might get cut you might bleed you there's a many number of things that would happen but For the most part, it's something you might be passionate about. It's something you enjoy. And the risk-aware consensual activity could also replace the word kink there. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So getting back to your question, though, the consent philosophies are wonderful. But not always are they enforced, understood. Or really able to be processed because if you think about it, you're coming in, you're coming in because you want to engage in an activity. And if something happened where a problem for a past event came up and you said you were triggered, who triggered you? That's a question. No because is it the person? Is it the event? Is it you being in your own head? And this has nothing to do with emotion uh, hypnosis. It often has to do with an emotion being linked to something. It could be words someone said in a particular way, which could be an anchor in a hypnotic term here or NLP term. It could be you know, reliving a past trauma, like you were talking about earlier. But not everyone who's in a a kink community or has a kink interest has traumas or had a traumatic thing happen to them in the past. They just might really like threesomes or they really might, you know, whatever. A lot of the things that we talk about and do are the things that people would do anyway if there were no judgment for for the most part, they just tend to be lunged into the area of
0: kink. What about um hypnosis outside of a kink party or event or a scene like um hypnotic uh, the use of hypnosis in persuasion or in day to day life? I mean, as you mentioned, everything is on some level mind control. Um I don't know if you've ever done anything, you know, actively in like, you know, the real world for lack of a better term. Um Has a consent step ever come up with that in like the hypnosis world? Is there any um, like guidelines of what is okay to do with people or not or anything like that? Some of that is personal. So
1: personal meaning this is a cause that I want to further. And these are the boundaries. Like I won't do anything that's illegal. I won't do anything that I find could cause personal harm in some way because here's another activity example i enjoy hiking i enjoy long distance walking so if i'm going out and someone sprains an ankle and i know that there's no help for 10 15 miles which has actually happened you can use hypnosis to make that sensation a pressure so that that person can start to get up move the ankle a little bit and then begin to put weight on it and then more and more they're feeling a little more comfortable and any sensation is now a pressure in that circumstance that might be okay because that person needs to get to help because otherwise you're calling a helicopter for a lift. so It's both a judgment call, and it's something that if you feel comfortable reading it on the front page somewhere, it's probably okay. But that doesn't mean that some people will all think it's okay. For the most part, and I tell people this all the time, you're a villain in someone's story. It's just the way it is.
0: Yeah yeah it's challenging I mean with my with my let's say uh, cult experiences um, there's a lot of use of persuasion and getting people to do things they regret but every perpetrator if you call them that in those situations really genuinely thought they were doing the best thing for the mark like because they were all all in their own you know different reality and it's kind of hard ethically to look at it but you know I, I wonder not that I think about this all the time, but like, when, what is it? I mean, in seduction, what's okay if I'm doing something and she seems to be enjoying it, like how far can I pull strings and things like that? And um, yeah, I was just, I was curious if you had like something you've come up with that's uh, perhaps concrete (laughs) that we can all.
1: Well, for instance, I'll give you another example. The, the seducer when talking about this person that they don't know is usually the person doing something wrong, but the per the person seducing them is often the one doing everything right. Again, it's very contextual. It's very it's very much something that we all encounter at some point in time. Um, I tend to stay a little private with some of the projects that I work on because. Uh, executive level, lifestyle training, things like that. These are things that I try to keep, I guess, private for not only clients, but for interests. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to talk about them in general, but I try not to be too specific. Cool. Unless okay. you're asked the okay. right question.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I uh, I, mean, I had a note to talk about that because you mentioned, um, could you say what lifestyle training is exactly?
1: So it could be, it could be something where you're working all the time and you're trying to find people that meet both your work life as well as your uh life you'd like to do for recreation it could be traits you'd want to develop it could be that you want to bring in more spirituality to everything that you're doing the spirituality piece more towards like the guru type energetic Uh, I guess sharing but for the most part lifestyle training is exactly where it is it's like building a life it's consciously developing either a tribe or just coming together with a plan with someone and beginning to look at each aspect of life and doing what it takes to make that
0: happen so in in some ways it's life coaching but you're affecting their subconscious more directly
1: yeah and then for the most part it could be leading them through trainings that would allow them to do exactly what i do it's you learn hypnosis you're learning language of the subconscious mind you're learning about avenues that and it can take you to multiple multiple directions like learning how to read faces learning how to do Body language learning uh, <laughs> learning about you know you could do handwriting uh, and all of this were things that I've looked at at one point in time and all of them are outcrops of psychology it's interesting and learning never stops
0: cool yeah that was that was the other thing that got me um interested in because I mean I read like a lot of bandler stuff a long time ago and I kind of forgot about that interest and in- um the erotic hypnosis got me interested in, again in the last year but also using it with clients cuz like um for people who have trouble like following through on a clear you know set of actions that we both know would be good for them what else could be done that could affect their subconscious is something that i'm looking into now so yeah that's And ba-
1: Bandler had quite a lot of pleasure conditioning in there and when he was looking at doing things with couples or even with a female, he would often do something with their palm, have them focus it on something and circle it. I really don't want to mention too much more than that, because Bandler has wonderful lawyers, and he's a great hypnotist, but it doesn't take much to, again, say, command language, look at this, feeling wonderful, and then where you're going next. It's, some of it can be compliance. Like we talked about early earlier, because he's both an authority figure, an expert, and for some people, he could be someone that they might want to have an experience with, just to see where his skills could take them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, when you first mentioned uh, the lifestyle training, I thought you were speaking in. I thought you were speaking more in terms of like a master-slave situation, or. Or uh, maybe on a lighter end, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Mark, with Mark Cunningham's um, Build a Better Girlfriend uh, type things. Um, but I guess I am. kind of the same thing, right? You're, you're conditioning something exactly. a certain way. I'm
1: probably coming through very plain for the most part because some of the things I'm talking about are should be common, almost universal experiences where we want to take it it is exactly where we should get with it. And yes, the master slave does fit in nicely to that uh, box. And a lot of people do take advantage of that. And that's where I tend to share some of more of the kink trainings in that.
0: But on the other end, this also kind of like being a good parent, right? And that's kind of uh, lifestyle training too.
1: Oh, for sure. And I would say it's also being good human beings because – being able to go out into just community and encourage someone to how they're presenting themselves, their identity, who they are in that moment is not only okay, but accepted is something that's needed more and more today. I believe that you could do some really terrible things and you could speak really wonderful words, even so, so wonderful words. And it's going to take a long time for those things to come back to you just because people don't always know where to go. You could say something really nice and do something really shitty. And there's like this conflict, like who is this person? That impression management. We've all been there. I think we've seen examples in our lives where people have have been this person that I'm talking about right here. So
0: it's tough. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Stephen Gilligan's work? A little bit. It's been a long time. Yeah, I I, I took a workshop with one of his students, and um, what I thought I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but what I thought was interesting was that instead of having um, let's say a hypnotist and a I don't know a person being hypnotized. They yeah, had the whole generative trance thing where you kind of go into trance together and there isn't always someone leading. Um, I was just curious what you thought of that as opposed to what we normally think of in hypnosis, where there's kind of like an exchange of power typically on some level.
1: Well, it's sort of a humanistic model where everything is okay. You're looking to be your authentic self. And my style of hypnosis is a relational hypnosis because as again subconscious never shuts off we're all doing or being culturally conditioned um, and we're all supporting that conditioning by sharing it with each other culture is any information learned to be passed on and with hypnosis we can take those interactions and begin to shape them with fresh perspectives attached to those experiences but for the most part what we do in a group, we create our own culture. I, when we're onboarded to a company, we're being onboarded to their culture. When we're going into a community out, outside geographic, we are going to notice different things in that community. And I've had someone argue with me before about this because they think that it's not that cut and dry. But let me ask you something. It's like, when you get off the highway, and it doesn't matter down south here in the U.S., or it could be up in Maine or New Hampshire, when you get off the highway, what are some of the things you notice that are transitioning you into you know, an area that isn't well-funded? Like, there's going to be some projects there. Because those same signs are going to be all over the U.S., you're gonna start noticing litter. You're gonna start noticing, run rundown buildings that might be, having windows bashed in. It's like all of those things are completely absorbed not only by our expectations, our culture. We stop thinking about them after a while, and they just become a subconscious detail. Um, on the note of um, well.
0: Oh. I want to ask you about the induction. So, uh, I mean, a podcast is probably not the best way to learn all different in, inductions, but do do different induction styles matter? Because I know anyone can look up, there's, there's tons, there's like the Bandler handshake thing, and there's a typical one of leading someone into relaxation. Um, do you think it matters to learn many different inductions, or there's a certain type of hypnotic induction you find particularly useful?
1: Inductions are sort of like different ways to continue on a conversation. It all depends on the context and where you want to go. Um, as I did before, there are like association inductions where, again, because the subconscious doesn't shut off, I can share an induction With you, that is basically a light trance and you can see how your subconscious will begin filling in the details. But for the most part, one induction is almost as good as another, but what you really shouldn't consider with your inductions is the strength or the strength of the person that you're trying to put into a deep state of hypnosis and why. Because um, if you're going to go out on the town for, say, a hypnotic adventure and enjoy making your girlfriend or someone else's a virgin again, it might look completely different than the person sitting down for a stage hypnotist show. Again, the stage hypnotist show is going to be very visual, where... The person out in public about for that hypnotic adventure. It just might be a hypnotic word and a condition cue that just starts things rolling. Gotcha. Uh,
0: so for someone who's uh, you know listening to this and maybe is new and really wants to learn hypnosis or gain some mastery in this in this you know, branch of psychology, like how would you uh, recommend someone start? Pick up a book. And practice. But I would say
1: all the formal stuff is wonderful to learn, but it's often some of the most basic. Start with street hypnosis, start with kink hypnosis, because I will tell you the kink hypnosis skills that you will pick up, you will be able to take some of the things that I communicate out and use it in every area of your life. Because when you're out with friends, you might be able to use an induction that. I showed someone else uh, with a woman at a club, you might be able to use that same abduction in a boardroom. You learn quickly about what uh, pattern interrupts are, like how, again, the subconscious is working. So you can begin to use command phrasing in different areas of life with yourself, other people, and when some of those things are coming back to you. I found that some of the formal avenues of learning hypnosis for therapy are filled with mythology, are filled with self-imposed limitations because you're absorbing someone else, else's ethos where they believe this should work in a particular way and this is how they've written their piece. I know because some of the things that I write, that's exactly what I do. I try to guide people to secondary I guess goals you would call them much like I did about remarkable mistakes you want to tell people and highlight the elements that work well for not only your style but the way that you're gonna shift and move the interaction and if you can do that I would say you have everything you need to go into any form of hypnosis
0: so um so essentially going out and basically learning the basics then practicing a lot and finding your own style like like many skills i guess
1: yeah and really there's no other way to do it but the real value of learning anything with hypnosis is that you begin to spot it everywhere and the more that you begin to practice it the more you can see how things fit together and sometimes you can see the more things don't fit together but there was a connection made.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And just in case people don't know the term, uh, when you mentioned street hypnosis, you're saying like practicing what hypnotic inductions and conversations with people on the street, essentially? Yes. And I've done that
1: in New Orleans and other places. It's one of the best things you can learn. It's just going out somewhere, whether usually it's a public venue on the street Uh, or a mall and then you're just going out and saying hi i'm doing hypnosis it teaches you many skills and as you begin to ask people if they would like to try something you can you can begin developing a routine you can take a routine that might involve magic tricks you can tell a joke you can heck most of the time just like personality tests you can tell people that you have a hypnosis test here and would you like to see how you would perform on it? And for the most part, every one of those suggestibility or hypnotizability tests, they're running through the same uh, routines that a stage hypnotist would would use. And sometimes they're running through the same routine that a therapist would use, oddly enough. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. as long as it's not the progressive relaxation because I've met way too many therapists that all they can do is go through a progressive relaxation without a script. They're very happy that they can do that without a script at this point. But it just blows my mind that that's where their limits are and
0: that's all they know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, almost every yoga teacher will take uh, a class through progressive relaxation in the same way <laughs> as like any… Yeah, you know, a hypnosis script I've seen. Um, oh for sure. It's like kind of intuitive, I think. I mean obviously yoga teachers probably aren't thinking and hypnotizing the class, but that's what they're doing.
1: Exactly. And my style, that relational hypnosis for the most part, is very much a blending of what you could expect in some mindful meditation at times, shifting into neutral, noticing thoughts as they come in and then letting them go. It can transition to noticing tension in your body, noticing where it's most tight, and then letting it go. Usually words like that you can use soften. Things like that, they all come out of the same vein, I would say. They're all part of the same tree of knowledge, but um, hypnosis, It allows you to go much deeper than meditation because meditation, you still have to run through the goals of the conscious mind. And it takes years to build up a good foundation where you can begin to progress in some of these cognitive skills. Whereas with hypnosis, you have someone walking you through with your subconscious a bit more dominant. So you can have those subconscious Competence, competency is built up a bit easier, especially in the beginning. You notice it much more.
0: Mm. Awesome. Um, yeah, we're coming up on the hour mark. This has been really great so far. Um, Joseph, was there anything else you wanted to share that maybe we didn't get to? Uh, and I know you. You, you can. Um, you, you, we're going to share the the notes that you you sent me earlier. Um, anything else you want to bring up?
1: Well, you can check out. My last book that I did, if any of you are interested in this, uh, the last book is um, The Dow of Relationship Maintenance for Mind Controllers. You can find that on Amazon. You can find that probably at, maybe at your local bookstore, depending on your sections. I'm working and very close to finishing the instruction of the Down, a master-slave lifestyle development training. On erotic and authoritarian hypnosis, but for the most part, I because you're going to share the notes, I'm happy to continue chatting. I can run you through another relational exercise if you like. We can talk about anything you want because, for the most part, I'm also enjoying the
0: conversation. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I think this has actually been been great. Um, I'm looking forward to the this, the the book you're working on, the hypno dumb stuff. I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess so, I would love to oh, – go ahead. Oh, I was
1: going to say one of the things that I will mention is my style is a bit different than a lot of people. Um, I'm not formal in my style because many of the trainings that I like to do are very much like the trainings that – used to be very apprentice style where you would come in, you'd learn a skill and have to demonstrate the competency. So most of the instruction that people get sort of disassociate and deconstruct knowledge into smaller gaps. And then they show you how to reassemble it, but they often leave out a step that allows a person to re-associate or associate meaning back into it. And I think as people learn, especially about their mind or mind control or even problematic behavior, it can become disheartening. It can feel sad in some ways that something is missing. And often that something is missing is the process where you just had... Things that you believed for a while broken down, but you weren't able to process it, the information in a way to reassociate some of that meaning and what it meant for your life. So many of the trainings that I like to do, I will bring in humor. I will tell people that to write down things that catch catch their uh, eye to things that make them pause and they can't remember the last sentence ask the person to say it him because in that moment they probably stumbled on something that actually was a subconscious block or something that they were working on that suddenly their subconscious mind just became a little more active and they kind of felt the blip and For the most part, I like people when they come to the trainings to be able to look at the information and present what they know. So it's not just me leading a training. It's also each person who comes who's sharing where they are and how their development has processed from where they are. Because for me, each person has a piece of the truth. And as we bring it all together... Each training comes together a little bit differently, and it comes together in ways that I can't always uh, imagine at the outset. But for the most part, by the end of that training, you should be able to present not only the material that I've um, laid out for you, but you should be able to present it in a way that matches with your own style, with your rhythm, and being able to talk about it in context that mattered to you. So, when you pick up books of mine, some of it, uh, many of it, or much of it, geez, may seem a little free associational at times, and sometimes it is. Um, This next book, the Hypnodome, is going to be a bit more structured, because I had people who contacted me, and they're like, I remember all these parts but i couldn't remember what we did here and can you talk more about this because i discovered more from the feedback that people were missing some basic connecting pieces and in a way for much of what i've been doing in the second book is helping people i guess bring together a foundational exercise of the pieces that they need to go out and not only see hypnosis but
0: uh, be hypnosis, if that makes gotcha.
1: sense.
0: Gotcha. Um, and if people want to train with you, best way to find out how is on dot com. It is. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. That sounds really cool. Uh, I've been uh, very passively studying hypnosis for a while. <laughs> it might be cool to to jump in. Um, yeah, I think uh, one of our live listeners has a question. Um Everett, if you want to unmute yourself, feel free to and ask. Um and if not, here he is. Yeah.
2: can you guys hear me? Yep. Cool. Uh hey Joseph, how are you? Good to quote unquote see you again. Um <laughs> how are you? Good, good. Um so I've been ki- I've been kind of <laughs> like Ruan said, I've been passively listening for an hour and just kind of rummaging the stuff through the back of my head. I've, I haven't been in, I've never actually been involved in hypnosis on like a long-term consistent way. You know, I've been involved in hypnosis off and on for about 14 years. And just last night on Mark Cunningham's group, um, I had put up a post previously about feeling conflicted whenever I put someone through a trance because it's like, huh, like on one hand, I know like for a fact, I know that she's going to wake up tomorrow after the trance and after what happened feeling awesome feeling healthy feeling like a million bucks and yet there's this like guilt or stigma there like it's it was bad it was wrong what's going on why why do i i have to go live in a cave and grow a crazy beard and never speak to anyone again and um and so someone on the thread asked well is there something that you're doing that is creepy or makes you feel creepy and i'm like "Hmm. well actually I mean, if we just put it that simply, yeah, the fact of the matter is that over you know 13 years or something, I've never 100% been able to shed the feeling that there is something creepy about this. And because I, I basically know what I'm doing with hypnosis and we could talk about like particulars of inductions or techniques, but it doesn't really matter because the fact is I never have been able to totally drop that feeling which I'm sure is holding me back in in areas in life beyond just this trance work and so it's like yeah what what is that and how can I get to the root of it and and be done with it for once and all so maybe you have any thoughts on that well I would say
1: this is an isomorphic behavior meaning that this is also something you're noticing in different areas of your life Mm -hmm. and Not only do you feel like you should be fair, you are probably feeling some sort of guilt or conflict that you have to resort to hypnosis to make this person feel a certain way, that you have to do something to them that is unnatural. Am I hitting a button here?
2: Yeah, it's always been that. There's always, even though I'm at the point in my life now where I I can talk about hypnosis with with pretty much anyone if the subject comes up. I don't have to keep it hidden, but the the sense, you know, just like the the underlying sense, the shadow, as as the person, the other hypnotist I was talking about on with on Mark on Mark's group last night put there's there's some some shadow some shadow there in like the Jungian sense I suppose that never never quite goes away. Well, there's two ways that a lot of people tend to
1: respond when they start realizing how influence how much influence that they really can have over someone else and that's either being really really cautious or being hands off like this is my responsibility what you feel after this is your responsibility and you're leaning one way but for the most part education has gotten you this far but it really comes down to the fact that it, it feels wrong because someone told you or you were brought up with the fact it was wrong. But if you start thinking about the fact that we're all in hypnosis all the time, we're all running through these things, our subconscious is active, the person that you may have made feel wonderful could have just as easily left that time feeling like crap. So an off word, just, I don't know, unplanned moments, just taken the wrong way. So for the most part, I would say being aware of not only the bad things, but the good things that you're doing. And if you can actually go out there and be kind to people, make people feel better with what you're doing, Heck, you can even say that most of the time I'm manipulating you. I'm manipulating you to feel wonderful. And that person's gonna probably still come back. In almost every regard, they will come back because how many people that you do you interact with that actually make you feel wonderful? On a on a daily basis? I mean really. The people right. that make us feel
2: wonderful are what the people we return to. So just in a, like in a general sense, because I can't, it's not starting with hypnosis since it's not like the the main thing I do in life, but starting from like the base, just starting from the basics of, of trying to make the people in in conversation or whatever, just feel good uh, through whatever means.
1: Yeah. Hypnosis is natural. It's just a directed intense way to begin using your communication with someone's subconscious mind. You're that's really it. It's not something you're doing to someone. It's something you're doing with someone. If you were to stop and say, I want you to feel good about murdering the chef because my hamburger came out medium rare, like they would stop. They would not do it. You've just increased their awareness enough that put them out there outside of their comfort zone that those suggestions would not take. So if you're really worried about doing something that's putting some, I don't know, fooling someone, you should be less worried about that. As long as you're trying to be a good person and you're not trying to force or coerce someone, you'll be okay. I mean, look at Darren Brown. We talked about him in the beginning, Mm -hmm. Darren Brown, all those people that he basically, conditions through this process in almost all of his videos now on Netflix, they come back saying their life is better because of it. Because he made them not only feel good, he made them learn things about themselves and the suggestions of what they believe were possible are now expanded and we can can be shocked by that. But for them, they found meaning they've found whatever else they're doing. So it's not always for us to judge. I would say yeah. the last thing I'll say before um, I'll let you talk some more is I think you're taking way too much responsibility for it and not letting them express themselves enough because if you're making them feel good, if you're putting in the time, effort, energy, I think you deserve a little response and a little recognition for that as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I could say, and on some levels, it is just as simple as, um, as like a self-esteem thing, uh, which Ruan has heard me talk out more than he really wants to,
1: but. Everett, I disagree. I disagree
2: with you right there. What do you mean? I think. Your confidence
1: is okay mm-hmm. but I think what you really haven't seen oops, sorry it fell on me yeah what you really haven't seen is the end product if you start relating with people through hypnosis through good deeds you get to see how it changes them so if you start working with it more you're going to be able to see how what you're doing does a lot of real good and if you start seeing that more, you're gonna be able to open up yourself more. And I think that's the part that's been holding you back, whereas you're afraid that not only you might be doing something wrong, but you might be causing harm.
2: Yeah, it's it's true because most of the um, most of the women that I've ever trans or worked with are I, I don't get to see in, in the long run, they're not in. I'm not seeing them anymore. I'm not in contact with them anymore, so good or bad. I, I just have no idea. Yeah, so just eliciting feedback then and trying to, uh, you know, make sure that a couple weeks down the line or whatever, I like check in and get, and where are you now? How do you feel? Blah, blah, blah.
1: And I think doing stuff like that online is great. It helps you build skills. It helps you build context. It helps you network. But for the most part, for me, I've transitioned out of that because Mm. at this stage, and you might be close to this stage or at this stage, I'm at the point where I've done that enough. My skills are sharp, but Mm. I don't want to just trance someone and go unless I'm training them or being paid for it because it's basically it's not fulfilling for me anymore. I want to have that experience of connection, relationship. I wanna enjoy that some of that power exchange, that shaping and that relationship that comes back to me. Um, I don't trance anyone I'm not fucking. And I'll be perfectly honest about that. Uh, That's just, it not only takes away a lot of the people who come to me through email saying please do this it it helps filter out some of the people who were not good candidates in the first place I'd say if you're that good, Everett, you really should put your skills out there and say that, hey, not only am I a wonderful person, I'm an erotic hypnotist, I'm a writer, I'm whatever else you do, and just be you.
2: Word. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think this has been great. Um, I just have to run to my next thing, guys, so I'm sorry I have to cut this off a little I think we could have probably went on longer but um thank you so much joseph i think it would be great to have you on in a few months again because i think uh, especially when your next book comes out i'd love to to break that down and maybe go into more of those principles um, in the future
1: sounds good to me it was great to meet
0: you both awesome all right thanks hey thanks for listening to the podcast if you want to catch the rest of my work go to ruando.com, catch me on social media at rwando and please do not forget to subscribe